A Night in Malneont by Clark Ashton Smith My sojourn in the city of Malneont occurred during a period of my life no less dim and dubious than that city itself and the misty regions lying thereabout. I have no precise recollection of its locality, nor can I remember exactly when and how I came to visit it. But I had heard vaguely that such a place was situated along my route, and when I came to the fog-enfolded river that flows beside its walls, and heard beyond the river the mortuary tolling of many bells, I surmised that I was approaching Malneont. On reaching the grey, colossal bridge that crosses the river, I could have continued at will on other roads leading to remoter cities, but it seemed to me that I might as well to enter Malneont as any other place. And so it was that I set foot on the bridge of shadowy arches, under which the black waters flowed in stealthy division and were joined again in a silence as of Styx and Acheron. That period of my life, as I have said, was dim and dubious. All the more so, mayhap, because of my need for forgetfulness, my persistent and at times partially rewarded search for oblivion. And that which I needed to forget, above all, was the death of the Lady Marielle, and the fact that I myself had slain her as surely as if I had done the deed with my own hand. For she had loved me with an affection deeper and purer and more stable than mine, and my changeable temper, my fits of cruel indifference or ferocious irritability, had broken her gentle heart. So it was that she had sought the anodyne of a lethal poison, and after she was laid to rest in the sombre vaults of her ancestors, I had become a wanderer, followed and forever tortured by belated remorse. For months or years, I am uncertain which, I roamed from old world city to city, heeding little where I went, if only the wine and the other agents of oblivion were available. And thus I came, somewhere in my indefinite journeying, to the dim environs of Malneont. The sun, if there ever was a sun above this region, had been lost for I knew not how long in a sky of leaden vapours. The day was drear and sullen at best, but now, by the thickening of the shadows and the mist, I felt that evening must be near and the bells I had heard, however heavy and sepulchral their tolling, gave at least the assurance of prospective shelter for the night. So I crossed the long bridge and entered the grimly yawning gate with a quickening of my footsteps, even if no, with no alacrity of spirit. The dusk had gathered behind the grey walls, but there were few lights in the city. Few people were abroad, and those that went upon their way with a some sort of solemn haste as if on some funereal errand that would admit of no delay. The streets were narrow, the houses high with overhanging balconies and heavily curtained or shuttered windows. All was very silent, except for the bells which tolled recurrently, sometimes faint and far off, sometimes with a loud and startling clangour that seemed to come almost from overhead. As I plunged along the shadowy mansions, along the streets from which a visible twilight issued to envelop me, it seemed that I was going farther and farther away from my memories at every step. For this reason, I did not at once inquire my way to a tavern, but was content to lose myself more and more in the grey labyrinth of buildings, which grew vaguer and vaguer 
amid the ever-mounting darkness and fog, as if they were about to dissolve in oblivion. I think that my soul would have been almost at peace with itself if it hadn't been for the reiterant ringing of the bells, which were like all bells that toll for the repose of the dead, and therefore set me to remembering those that had rung for Marielle. But whenever they ceased, my thoughts would drift back with an indolent ease, a recovered security to the all-surrounding vagueness. I had no idea how far I had gone in Malmayant, nor how long I had roamed among these houses that hardly seemed as if they could be peopled by any but the sleeping or the dead. At last, however, I became aware that I was very tired, and bethought me of food and wine and a lodging for the night. But nowhere in my wanderings had I noticed the signboard of an inn, so I resolved to ask the next passer-by for the desired direction. As I have said before, there were few people abroad, and now, when I made up my mind to address one of them, it appeared that there were no one at all, and I walked onward through street after street in my futile search for a living face. At length I met two women, clothed in grey that was cold and dim as the folds of the fog, and veiled with all, who were hurrying along with the same funereal intentness I had perceived in all other denizens of that city. I made bold to accost them, asking them if they could direct me to an inn. Scarcely pausing, or even turning their heads, they answered, We cannot tell you. We are shroud weavers, and we have been busy making a shroud for the Lady Marielle. Now, at that name, which of all names in the world was the one I should have least expected to care or cared to hear, an unspeakable chill invaded my heart, and a dreadful dismay smote me like the breath of the tomb. It was indeed strange that in this dim city, so far in time and space, from all I had fled to escape, a woman should have recently died, who was also named Marielle. The coincidence appeared so sinister that an odd fear of the streets through which I had wandered was born suddenly in my soul. The name had evoked, with a more irrevocable fatality than the tolling of the bells, all that I had vainly wished to forget, and my memories were like living coals in my heart. As I went onward, with paces that had become more hurried, more feverish than those of the people of Malneont, I met two men who were likewise dressed from head to foot in grey, and I asked of them the same question I had asked of the shroud weavers. We cannot tell you, they replied. We are coffin makers, and we have been busy making a coffin for the Lady Marielle. As they spoke and hastened on, the bells rang out again, this time very near at hand, with a more dismal and sepulchral menace in their leaden tolling. And everything about me, the tall and misty houses, the dark and definite streets, the rare and wraith-like figures, became as if part of the obscure confusion and fear and bafflement of a nightmare. Moment by moment, the coincidence on which I had stumbled appeared all too bizarre for belief, and I was troubled now by the monstrous and absurd idea that the Marielle I knew had only just died, and that this fantastic city was in an, in some unsurmisable manner connected with her death. But this, of course, my reason rejected summarily, and I kept repeating to myself, the Marielle of whom they speak is another Marielle. 
and it irritated me beyond all measure that a thought so enormous and ludicrous should return when my logic had dismissed it. I met no more people of whom to inquire my way, but at length, as I fought with my shadowy perplexity and my burning memories, I found that I had paused beneath the weather-beaten sign of an inn on which the lettering had been half-effaced by time and brown lichen. The building was obviously very old. Like all the houses in Malnaunt, its upper stories were lost in the swirling fog, except for a few furtive lights that glowed obscurely down, and a vague and musty odour of antiquity came forth to greet me as I mounted the steps and tried to open the ponderous door. But the door had been locked or bolted, so I began to pound upon it with my fists to attract the attention of those within. After much delay, the door was opened slowly and grudgingly, and a cadaverous-looking individual peered forth, frowning with portentous gravity as he saw me. "'What do you desire?' he queried, in tones that were both brusque and solemn. "'A room for the night, and wine,' I requested. "'We cannot accommodate you. All the rooms are occupied by people who have come to attend the obsequies of the Lady Marielle.' and all the wine in the house has been requisitioned for their use. You'll have to go elsewhere. He closed the door quickly upon me with the last words. I turned to resume my wanderings, and all that had troubled me before was now intensified a hundredfold. The grey mists and the greyer houses were full of the menace of memory. They were like traitorous tombs from which the cadavers of dead hours poured forth to assail me with envenomed fangs and talons. I cursed the hour when I had entered Malmayant, for it seemed to me now that in doing so I had merely comp completed a funereal, sinister circle through time and had returned to the day of Mariel's death. And certainly all my recollections of Mariel, of her final agony and her entombment, had assumed the frightful vitality of present things. But my reason still maintained, of course, that the Mariel, who lay dead somewhere in Malnaunt, and for all whom all these obsequial preparations were being made, was not the lady whom I had loved, but another. After threading streets that were even darker and narrower than those before traversed, I found a second inn, bearing a similar weather-beaten sign, and in all other respects very much like the first. The door was barred, and I knocked thereon with trepidation, and was in no manner surprised when a second individual, with a cadaverous face, informed me in tones of sepulchral solemnity. We cannot accommodate you. All the rooms have been taken by musicians and mourners, who will serve at the obsequies of the Lady Mariel, and all the wine has been reserved for their use. Now I began to dread the city about me, with a manifold fear, for apparently the whole business of the people in Malmayant consisted of preparations for the funeral of this Lady Marielle, and it began to be obvious that I must walk the streets of the city all night because of these same preparations. All at once, an overwhelming weariness was mingled with my nightmare terror and perplexity. I had not long continued my peregrinations after leaving the second inn when the bells were tolled once more. For the first time, I found it possible to identify their source. They were in the spires of a great cathedral which loomed immediately before me through the fog. Some people were entering the cathedral, and a curiosity, which I knew to be both morbid and perilous, prompted me to follow them 
Here, I somehow felt, I should be able to learn more regarding the mystery that tormented me. All was dim within, and the light of many tapers scarcely served to illumine the vast nave and altar. Masses were being said by priests in black, whose faces I could not see distinctly, and to me their chanting was like words in a dream, and I could hear nothing, and nothing was plainly visible in all the place, except a bier of opulent fabrics on which there lay a motionless form in white. Flowers of many hues had been strewn upon the beer, and their fragrance filled the air with a drowsy languor, with an anodyne that seemed to drug my heart and brain. Such flowers had been cast on the beer of Mariel, and even thus, at her funeral, I had been overcome by a momentary dulling of the senses because of their perfume. Dimly, I became aware that someone was at my elbow, with eyes still intent on the beer. I asked... Who is it that lies yonder, for whom these masses are being said and these bells are rung? And a slow, sepulchral voice replied, It is the Lady Mariel, who died yesterday, and who will be interred tomorrow in the vaults of her ancestors. If you wish, you may go forward and gaze upon her. So I went down the cathedral aisle, even to the side of the bier, whose opulent fabrics trailed on the cold flags, and the face of her who lay thereon, with a tranquil smile upon the lips and tender shadows upon the shut eyelids, was the face of the Marielle I had loved, and of none other. The tides of time were frozen in their flowing, and all that was, or had been, or could be, all of the world that existed aside from her, became as fading shadows. And even as once before, was it aeons or instants ago, my soul was locked in the marble hell of its supreme grief and regret. I could not move, I could not cry out, nor even weep, for my very tears were turned to ice. And now I knew with a terrible certitude that this one event, the death of the Lady Mariel, had drawn apart from all other happenings, had broken away from the sequence of time, and had found for itself a setting of appropriate gloom and solemnity or perhaps had even built around itself the whole enormous maze of that spectral city, in which to abide my destined return among the mists of a deceptive oblivion. At length, with an awful effort of will, I turned my eyes away, and leaving the cathedral with steps that were both hurried and leaden, I sought to find egress from the dismal labyrinth of Malmayant to the gate by which I had entered. But this was by no means easy, and I must have roamed for hours in alleyways blind and stifling as tombs, and along the torturous self-reverting thoroughfares, ere I came to a familiar street, and was able henceforth to direct my pace with something of surety, and a dull and sunless daylight was dawning behind the mists when I crossed the bridge, and came again to the road that would lead me away from that fateful city. Since then, I have wandered long and in many places, but never again have I cared to revisit those old world realms of fog and mist, for fear that I should come once more to Malnaunt and find that its people are still busied with their preparations for the obsequies of the Lady Marielle.